Welcome to Dwell. How are you guys doing? All right. Do you guys appreciate the worship team working so hard? Like, I don't know if you know music. I really don't know much about music at all, but I know um, that typically they have ears in, and there's like a click track that kind of keeps everybody in, and there's a track behind them that's kind of like helping them know where to come in. And, and the last two times, they're challenging their music ability by not doing any click track and not doing any track behind them. And so, like, everything that you just heard is them being in sync together. So I know it's really difficult, and I know, like, musically, they're doing a great job. So can we just, like, thank them for all their hard work? And I honestly, I just love seeing so much, like, youth on stage. I love that youth are leading youth in worship of our God. It's one of my favorite things on Wednesday night. If I met some of you guys for the first time tonight, I know we have some new people in the room, so I'm really thankful that you're here. Welcome to Dwell. We meet every Wednesday night. And we, yeah, we can like clap. Like, we want you to know you belong. Um, we're glad you're here, wherever you're at, in kind of your spiritual journey and faith journey. We're excited to be a part of your life and to hopefully help you grow in three things, really. In our relationships with one another, we call that linking up. In our learning to know God, not just about God, but learning to actually know God, your creator, in a personal relationship. And we find that through the Bible. And the last thing is, is learning how to live a life of love. If you really want to know what Jesus' teaching was all about, he summed it up in this. Love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Like fall in love with your creator and be loved by him. And then share that love with your neighbor in the same way that you would love yourself. If you're hungry, you feed yourself. If your neighbor is hungry, you feed your neighbor in its simplest form. Love God and love neighbor. That's what we're all about. So that's what we're going to do tonight. We get into the Bible every Wednesday night. And we're, right now we're in a series called God Is. Now, I don't know if you guys, when uh, like Kanye West kind of went through his conversion experience and came out with uh, his first album was Jesus is King. One of his, uh, one of the tracks was called God Is. And that is kind of like where we're going. In the midst of a troubling time in our culture, in the midst of maybe a troubling time in your family, or maybe a troubling time in our church, we can rest on the truths that this Bible says about who our God is. And when we look to him, peace, even in the midst of a storm. And so we're going to continue in that. I just want to say this. What we do here on a Wednesday is kind of weird. Now, you're like, some of you might be like, what are you talking about? Like, you're a pastor, this is church. But I just think, like, think of the regular routine of a regular American teenager. And they're coming together to talk about their creator, to explore faith, to wrestle through life's biggest questions. Like, who made this place? Who have I been created to be? What's wrong with the world? What will fix the world? I mean, this is just not a normal thing that American teenagers do is to gather like this. And some of you, maybe your parents are making you do this, and I understand that. I think that's probably the case for some of you, and some of you really enjoy it. Regardless of that, when you come and you commit yourself to just a regular routine of learning and relationship, here's the deal. When you do go through a storm, which, guess what? Every human being is going to go through it. You have truth that is like baked into you from opening up this Bible and from learning and for committing to coming. And the second thing is this. 
you got people. You know what I'm saying? Like when you're going through hard stuff, you need people. When I'm going through hard stuff, I'll tell you the first person I'm calling is Eric McBurney. I was like, I need to talk. How do I end up with a relationship with Eric McBurney? Is through showing up here, linking up, learning and loving. So I just want to continue to encourage you guys to show up and continue to love one another and uh, learn from the scriptures. Okay. Last week we said God is good. Therefore, in a storm, if you look to God, if you looked at the person of Jesus and to his promises, you can have peace. And I kind of like said that versus what we typically do is we look to the problem and we try and fix it. And sometimes there's just like unfixable problems. They're God-sized problems that when we ourselves, not as gods, but as human beings look to them, we become really anxious And all of a sudden, we start to believe different things about God. And we saw in the Bible last week this story where the the disciples that knew God loved them, all of a sudden, because of their emotion, because of their fear, because they were staring at their problem, said, don't you even care about us? Like, if there's anything about Jesus that you learn in the scriptures is that he cares more than anybody. And yet in trouble, boom, immediately, you don't care for me. And I can tell you as a person, and probably a lot of the adults in this room shaking their head, is emotions can hijack your theology. And the things that you know all of a sudden get flipped on their head in a moment because you're scared. And we need to be grounded in the person of Jesus, that he cares for you even in the midst of a storm. And you can have peace. Okay. The storm continues. Tough things are still happening in the world. Tough things are still happening in your life. And tough things are still happening in this church. From people that we love. <laughs> and so I got a lot of emails from parents like, hey, how are you going to address this? Can you encourage my kids? How do I talk about this? And I, um, you guys know I love like props and I like diagrams and I want to like lay out this lesson. And then when I sit down on the stool, it's kind of like, all right, we're having kind of a dad talk. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is another dad talk. Like, <laughs> There's a lot of stuff that we need to talk about, and this is one. And the culture, the culture is going to tell you that what you need is not to be bogged down with all these problems, but you need to just go out and have fun. Just like, forget the problems, just go out and have fun and be free and whatever. And you know what? Like, that's why there is so much of a need for counseling. Because the culture is letting you down. We don't need to just go out and pretend that bad stuff is not happening. We need to process this stuff with God and with his truth and with his people. Not pretend like hard stuff is not happening. Do you know what I'm saying? Like this is what the people of God do. We run to God and we wrestle with it because we love one another. And we wrestle with the truth. And that's what we're going to do this morning. So it's not going to feel exactly like a sermon. And for those of you that are here for the first time, you're like, what in the world have we got ourselves into? our first time. So here's the situation. I'm going to try and say it as as clear as possible. Um, Romans 14, 23. Can you put that up there for me, Caden? All right, let's read this together. But if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, now this is talking about a different issue. than this. We're not talking about food in our... <laughs> You're like, are you talking about your diet, Brian? No. Uh, Okay, if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, 
you are sinning if you go ahead and do it. For you're not following your convictions. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning, okay? There is a lot of decisions that are going to come in your life where you're like, the Bible doesn't speak to it, like directly. So I've got to make a decision about what I'm supposed to do to honor God, and I don't have the exact verse to point me in that way. At that point, here's what you need to do. You need to pray. You need to process it with people like Christians, and then you need to follow what the Spirit of God is giving you as a conviction to do. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, like we talk about, okay, I'm at a party in high school, and all of a sudden it just kind of hits me like, you know what? I probably shouldn't be here. And you stay. Sin. You're at that party, you feel the conviction, and you go, you know what? I think I need to get out of here. You get up and you get out. You get in that, out of that bad situation. You have to follow your convictions. Now, here's what I'm going to tell you. There are men in this church who are doing that. They're doing that. There's no villain. This is not about sin. Godly men are trying to decide the best way forward for our church. And one says, I think we need to do that as outside of Redemption Church. It's my conviction, Tim Mon. It's Tim Mon's conviction that the best way for you to grow and for this church to flourish is if we would go outside of Redemption and we can just kind of control what we control here at Redemption Gilbert. And it's because of concerns that Tim has about Redemption Church and the future of Redemption Church, okay? So what do you do when you have concerns like that? Well, thankfully... This church is built where there are decision makers. They're called elders. And we put these elders in place so that they can hear people's concerns. You can bring your concerns to an elder and say, like, I feel like we're doing this wrong. Probably most of those things, staff would come to me and say, like, hey, I feel like we're teaching something wrong about this. And I take that and I go to the elders. And the elders open up the scriptures. They pray about it. They fast they talk to people, they study, they read articles, and then they come back and they go, you know what, the position of the church is this. I think we're going to go forward with this. We have people in place, and Tim did the right thing. He felt the conviction, he had the concern, and he took it to these godly men. Now, as they opened up the scriptures and they had conversations and they really, for weeks and weeks and weeks, poured over this, they had the same concern. What's the problem? You're like, huh? They had the same concerns, except their conviction was, remember the conviction? Their conviction was the way forward for you guys is going to be better if we're attached to Redemption Church than we're not. That was their conviction, the elders, even though they shared in some of the concerns. And so we have this like, okay, what do we do? Our lead pastor has a conviction, and he's following it. And I appreciate Tim for that. And the elders have looked at it, and they've studied the scriptures, and they've asked the questions, and they're following that too. That's what's happening in our church right now. And so because of, of, of Tim's convictions, the church and Tim have decided to part ways, and Tim will no longer be a pastor at our church. And this is our lead pastor. I told, you know, this is Eli's dad. We have moms in the room. And I told Eli, I'm like, Tim's top five. You guys have like a top five? Probably not yet. Maybe you got a top two. 
my top five where I go like, who are the men in my life that have influenced me, had the most positive impact on my life? Tim's top five. I'm really sad. I'm really sad because because Tim's not going to be my pastor. But I'm really sad for Eli because he's my friend and that's his dad and he's not going to be a pastor here. And I'm really sad for Lauren and I'm really sad for Abby and Allie. And the bo- this is sad. We're not trying to like spin it. But here's what I think is really important as we process this thing. Everybody wants to paint somebody as a villain. Somebody's wrong. And I promise you, as this thing moves forward, we're all going to think about this differently. We're going to see how God worked something out that we did not see coming. And I just trust that because I know God. Okay? I know God. And guess what? I've been through stuff like this before. Okay. One of the things we said in this ministry is we are going to learn how to love. Okay? I'm going to give you two verses. Uh, Caden, throw up Romans uh, the 12, 15. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Imagine somebody is sad, all right? Jace is sad. Something horrible has gone on in his life. And I'm like, you know what? My life's kind of good. I'm not really worried about it. I don't want to be bogged down with whatever Jace has got going on. And I'm just like, dude, go cry over there because I, you're kind of a buzzkill. Is that love? No. Like Jesus' love sees people that are hurting and he weeps with those who are weeping. We see it all throughout the, the Gospels. Jesus sees people that are hurting. He has compassion. It means like his guts move towards them and then he goes and he loves them. And so the church, what do we do when people are sad? We're sad with those who are sad. That's okay. Doesn't mean like, like we gotta just pretend like everything is okay. We can be sad with those who are sad. And that's a lesson in love. The second verse is 1 Corinthians 12, 26. It says, if one, part of the, uh, if one part suffers, all parts suffer with it. It's talking about a body. And if one part is honored, all parts are, be, are, are glad. So if we're a body, we're a family, and one part of our family is hurting, we hurt with that family. That's what it means to be the, God's family. So we weep with those who weep. We hurt with those who are hurting. And so that is our first thing that I want to tell us, in the midst of a storm, in the midst of disagreement, in the midst of sadness, number one, we look to not the problem, but we look to the person of Jesus. We look to his promises, and we can have peace in the midst of difficulty. The second thing is, we weep with those who weep, and there's not a villain in the story. Everyone is trying to be godly. There's no accusation of sin that's being made. Nobody went to the elders and said, Tim is in sin, or... Tyler or redemption is in sin. That's not what this is about. This is about godly men following their convictions. And some people might say, well, look at them, like they can't even figure things out. They're just like the rest of the world. There's so much division in the world, and now it's made its way into the church. Maybe you could say that. Here's what I would say. In the world, in the culture right now, when you disagree, what happens? war, right? Like, all-out war in social media against each other. Like, we hate each other. We demonize each other. Like, we slander each other. That's what the culture does 
when they disagree. And now within the church, when you see godly men disagree and still love one another, you go, that's not just like the culture. That's not just like the culture. The culture cannot do that. The gospel can do that. The church can do that. And we get to be a part of that. We shine as light into darkness when we love people that we disagree with because we're family. This is family, and family are going to have disagreements. Do you know what I'm talking about? And some people are like, I don't know. I'm so embarrassed. I don't know what to tell my kids. I'm like, this is heartbreaking. You don't have to be embarrassed by this. When the, when the two people that are disagreeing love each other, like, love each other, that's beautiful to me. And if we can't figure out the best way forward for this church, we have the elders for that, and they've made a decision. Some people are happy about it. I don't know if anyone's happy about it. Some people are happy to be in Redemption Church. Most everybody. including me and my family, are really sad. Okay. My biggest concern for you, and I really feel this as a dad of this ministry. I feel like a lot of these dad talks, I feel like I'm trying to save your life. I really feel that, like, I've lived long enough and I've been through things like this and one of the like horrible things is that people leave the church and they're like hypocrites. See, hypocrites. We can't trust those guys. That's what I want to address tonight. And I got to tell you a story first. So when I, uh, this was probably about 30 years ago. I know you guys can't believe I'm 30 years old. I'm so young. About 30 years ago, um, I saw this marriage, um, and I met this, I met this person, and the husband is like the most stand-up dude I've ever met, right? Like, he is so kind, uh, he's like one of those people that when they walk in the room is just immediately with people. He's so kind to people, like everybody are drawn to this guy. And his words are like completely wise. Like, if I have a problem, this is my go-to guy. Do you guys have anyone like that? It's like, this is the person I want to hear from. Because they're not just going to get me worked up and get me upset because I'm upset. They actually give me wisdom. He's dignified. He's respected. Like, he's gentle and kind. He doesn't quarrel. He's never, like, out of control emotional. He's just kind of, like, he's just in control. Like, I love this dude. And I cannot figure out for the life of me why he married his wife. And you guys are like, well, this is getting awkward. She is, like, the opposite. And I remember as a 12-year-old, like, how in the world did he fall in love with her? How did that happen? She says things that are embarrassing. She speaks when she shouldn't speak. Like, she says the wrong opinion. She dresses, like, too provocatively. Through the years, I've watched, and she's been unfaithful to her husband. 
And every time I'm like, this is his out. Like, she's a mess. And yet, I'm telling you, this person always loves. And he gets grieved by the way she acts sometimes and the trouble she gets into. But she, he always loves her, and he's so patient with her. And he's always doing right by her. Now, this is 30 years, and I've gotten to see through those years, his love has really changed her. Like, it would have been easy for him to give up on her. And yet he continued to love, and she's less inappropriate She's a little more dignified sometimes. And you see her and she is beautiful and different. I don't know if you know that story. But do you guys want to know the names? Because you know them. And you're like, Joseph's like, tell me the names. Who is it? This is the story of the Old Testament. God said he took a bride, and he took a bride in Israel. And you guys are like, oh, oh, this is not a real story. This is a true story. God took a bride in Israel. And his relationship with these people, he said, is a covenant marriage. It's like he said, I'm taking all my love and all my devotion and all of my energy, and I am just taking it, and I'm now wedding myself to these people. And the whole Old Testament is them being unfaithful. Them loving other gods, like cheating on him. And he even says, you are cheating on me. You're committing adultery. And this is, this is grieving my heart greatly. And there are times where God is really sad and upset. And then in the next chapter, he loves them and he restores them. And he continues to commit himself to them. Show uh, Hosea 2.16. If you guys haven't read Hosea, it's, it's one of the prophets in the Old Testament. And it's really interesting because God tells uh, Hosea to marry an unfaithful woman, like an undignified woman. And says, basically, she's going to cheat on you and she's going to break your heart. Oh, great. Thank you, Lord. I'm glad he has not given me that command. And he marries her. And sure enough, she does it. And he's, he's teaching Hosea this is how I feel, and this is how committed I am to my people. I will continue to love them. It says, when that day comes, says the Lord, you will call me my husband. Now he's talking to Israel instead of my master. Oh, Israel, I will wipe the many names of the other gods from your lips, and you will never mention them again, all your lovers. On that day, I will make a covenant, a marriage promise, a commitment with all the wild animals and the birds of the sky and the animals that scurry along on the ground so they will not harm you. I will remove all weapons of war from the land. Is that it? All swords and bows so that you can live unafraid in peace and safety. God has married himself to a bride and it's a people. Israel, and he's promised, I will. Remember, we look to the promises of God for peace. I will do this. I will stay faithful. Now, when Jesus, actually, when John the Baptist shows up in the New Testament, 
They're like, are you the king? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one that we've been waiting for? Are you the husband of Israel? And he goes, no, 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 no. I'm not the husband. I'm like the best man. Like I'm standing up here and here comes the bride and the groom and I get to watch this thing to come together. And he's saying, Jesus is the groom. He's the husband. And now he's come to earth to take his bride. Look at John three twenty nine. It says, it's the bridegroom who marries the bride and the best man is simply glad to stand with him and hear, her vows, hear his vows. Therefore, I'm filled with joy at his success. Here's my point. In Hosea, we learn this. God is committed in a marriage covenant to his people, okay? This tells us his marriage covenant is to the, is, is to the church, the people that have faith in Christ. So get this. You guys know the word salvation? And you go, what is salvation? What does it mean to be saved? What does that mean? Are you saved? When did you get saved? You guys know that word? First, you're saved by faith in Jesus. Like when you trust in Christ, he, he is the king, he's the son of God, he rose from the dead, and I turn to him in repentance from my old life, and I turn to him in faith, I believe in him. You're saved, okay? You don't have to clean yourself up. He's not like, you know what? Kind of an ugly wife. Like maybe a haircut, maybe a makeover, do something with that skin, and maybe lose a, I don't know, like you work out a little bit. I don't know. Like God does not look at us and be like, clean yourself up. We turn to him saved. Second thing is, we're saved from our sin. The thing that is making us ugly inside, the thing that controls us, that makes us rebel against him. We're saved from that. We're no longer under the power of sin, but we're also not going to be punished for our sin. We're forgiven. And the third thing is, you're saved into a people. Like when we do this um, baptism lesson, at the end of the lesson, at the end of the baptism, you end up initiated into a family. You're into a people. Now, the word is ecclesia. Has anyone heard that word before? Ecclesia. And the word means the, the king's gathering of the king's people. The king's gathering of the king's people. Now, for short, you could say the church, the word church, ecclesia, means the gathering, but really it means the king's gathering of his people. God is gathering a people, and he's married himself to those people. Now, I'm going to get to a so what. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. He tells us as husbands, and, and ladies, you, you want a husband? Like, you want a Ephesians 5, 25 husband. Guys, be an Ephesians 5.25 husband. Husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ has loved the church. Christ has loved his bride. Who is his bride? The church. He's committed himself to her and he's loved her. And he gave his life for her to make her, what does it say? Holy and clean. Washed by the cleansing of God's word. Now, here's what that means. God's committed himself to the church. He's married, but it's not just like that husband stayed in the marriage and didn't divorce that, that woman. 
Like, good for him. He's never divorced her. That's amazing. I can't believe he hasn't divorced her. That's a miracle. This is saying something different. Not only is God not going to divorce himself from the church, but he is going to continue through his love to change her. And at the end, he's going to present her a beautiful bride that his love, when you get his love, guys, when you get God's love, you will be changed. And we as a community will be more glorious. That means we will look more like the character of God and the world will go, man, that church used to be inappropriate. But that church's husband, that God that's committed himself to her, has changed her. And she is like, that church is amazing. So what? Here's so what. People don't understand this story. And they go, you know what? The church is messy. People aren't getting along. There's some people gossiping over there. That's hideous. What an ugly bride. And they give up. And they get outside of the church. And guess what? God is committed to who? The church. The gathering of the king's people. And when you give up on the church, you give up on where God has committed his love and where he is going to transform this people as they live together, as they wrestle through hard moments like this. We're going to be more glorious when we wrestle through hard things like this. And you are too, if you stick with the church. Don't give up on the church because Jesus will never give up on the church. And when he comes back in Revelations 21, it describes it. It describes Jesus' return as a wedding. And this glorious thing is coming towards Jesus. Do you know what it is? A church. And they're dressed in these like beautiful white robes. And it says their robes are like the good works that shine into the world. They love one another. I'm trying to save your life. Because this is always going to be messy, folks. This is always going to be messy. It's always going to be disappointment in the church. Don't give up on her because God will never give up on his church. That doesn't mean you have to stay in these walls. If somebody leaves this church, that doesn't mean they're giving up on the church. I'm saying leave here. If you have to leave here to grow better, I want you to grow to know God better. As long as you're here, I promise I will pastor you and I will love you and I will try and teach you as best as I can to love one another, to love God, and to know how much he loves you. But if you go somewhere else, don't give up on the church. Got it? Let me pray for you guys. Lord, in the midst of storm, we look to you not our problem. And you are not panicked. You have a plan. And we look to your promise that you will never leave us or forsake us and that you, through your love for us, will change us. And I pray, I pray for these students, Lord, like hold them in the church, not this church. 
This is just one church. I'm talking about the gathering of the king's people. May these kids, Lord, every single one of them, always find their way into a gathering of your people. That, Lord, in that final day when the wedding happens, that we will be there dressed in robes that shine as bright as the good works that we've done in this world. And that these kids would know how much you love them even when we make mistakes, even when we're inappropriate, you have committed yourself to us. That's amazing love. And we're just thankful for that. Lord, protect us, protect this church from devouring one another, from slander, from gossip, from making villains, for hating each other. Protect us in love. Protect us in love. Lord, Protect us in love. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, guys. Uh, go to your groups. We'll see you next week as we continue with God is. So slow, when you put me up.